This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I am pumped for this episode. We're back. It's earnings season in America. Earnings season never seems to end. And we have pulled out the quarter app and listened to some of the biggest names in corporate America, well, no, uh, just in the business world, and we've tried to see, we've tried to hear if there's any fear in their voices. Yes, yes, like there's a lot going on at the moment, and uh, we've got the big tech companies that have absolutely been smashed during reporting season. Well, before reporting season as well. Before reporting season as well. And we're going to pull out some of the key messaging from their uh, their C-suite uh, to listen to uh, what they have to say. Before we do, uh, you did mention the Quarter app there. This uh, episode is uh, proudly sponsored by Quarter, who we think is a fantastic app to hear directly from the CEOs of uh, some of the biggest companies in the world. It's one of the fastest growing investor relations app around. Head to Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. Com, and you have the opportunity to listen to all of the investor calls uh, for portfolios in your company from all around the world. And can I just say, so we did this last year and the, the app was good. Like the functionality of aggregating all these earnings calls and being able to listen to them like an audiobook or a podcast is pretty epic. But the improvement in the app Crazy. is something to behold. They've done a they've done an incredible job in the last few months. So it's a great app and being able to easily hear from these business leaders and CEOs that we spend our days looking at their companies and trying to learn about their companies and to be able to hear it directly from the leaders themselves is is great functionality. So before we jump into hearing from Spotify uh, and whether or not they sound worried, we've got two pieces of housekeeping. The first this is the last day for our community survey. Uh, we really, really appreciate if you could uh, click the link in the show notes or on our Instagram page and fill out the the survey. It's an opportunity f- for us to hear your feedback on how 
how we're going and uh, to give you the chance to provide us with some feedback for the coming year. Uh, it's all about building content that is going to be valuable for your uh, investing journey. If you complete the whole survey, you go in the running to win 500 bucks. So um, final chance to do that. And then also, Ren, we're playing the ASX share market game along with the boys from CVE and also Maddie and Sophie from You're In Good Company. And we've opened up our league to all of the Equity Mates community to play along with us. So those links will be in the show notes as well. If you want to join our league, it's called EM Media uh, and it kicks off this week. 3rd of March. Yeah. Bryce has thrown down the gauntlet that he's going to smoke everybody, that uh, <laughs> he's got the strategy that's going to win the game. So uh, put him in his place. Uh, come and try and beat Bryce. And yeah, let's have some fun and see who wins. But yeah, let's excited. get into this episode because I'm excited for this. We have seen an absolute uh, sell-off in growth stocks. And uh, we've named this episode, Can You Hear Their Fear? Growth stocks down more than 40%. So what we've done is we've pulled out some of the biggest names in America and Canada and had a look at, are the CEOs worried? Can you hear the fear in their voice? We've got Spotify that's down 58% from its all-time highs, Facebook down 46%, Netflix down 43%, Peloton down 82%, Shopify down 63%, PayPal down 66%. There's plenty of others we could have chosen. I think between those companies, they've lost about a trillion dollars in market cap. So mm, that's um, amazing. It's it's a big fall. Mm. Uh, but let's start with Spotify, down fifty eight percent from all time highs. The first clip we have is the CEO Daniel Ek, yes, uh, talking about the long term for Spotify. Love it. But let's move to the long term, which is where I try to focus my time. We're building a category defining company, and this takes patience. And some may still describe us as the leading music subscription service. And while this surely reflects where we've been, it doesn't encompass all the advancement we've been making in audio. And further, I don't think it properly captures all the future initiatives that we're working on either. It is, as Jim Barksdale described, it's constantly about bundling and unbundling on the Internet. So what are we focused on then? Well, the best way to describe it is a subset of the creator economy. People have been talking about the creator economy for some time and it has taken on many different meanings. For us, the single largest trend to keep track of is the rapid professionalization of creators. And I see this as one of the biggest opportunities on the internet. And for all the millions of artists and creators that have leveraged Spotify to date, I think we've only scratched the surface of the creative potential in audio. To become the preferred destination for audio creators, we will accelerate the move from a one-size-fits-all model to a much more dynamic and open platform, and we will give them greater flexibility and the power to be more entrepreneurial, which will, of course, unlock the extraordinary potential of their business and communities. We will provide greater reach. We will provide tools and access to diverse revenue streams that can be personalized to meet the needs of each creator. I believe this will all lead to the creation of millions of jobs for the creator economy. And while this is not limited to Spotify, we are building the platform that will enable the whole ecosystem to work together on a global scale. And we think that the Spotify ecosystem alone will encompass more than 50 million active creators, which is a significant increase from the 11 million total that we have today. So think of it as 50 million small and medium-sized businesses that we can support by giving them the infrastructure and resources to grow. 
And this evolution will take time, but I know some of you are wondering what this means in, in the near term. So, Ren, uh, we love thinking long-term here at Equity Mates, and so does Daniel Eck, as we heard there at the start. You know, he's uh, really asking for some patience from a think, lot of investors. Do you think he sounds worried? No. Yeah, I didn't think he sounded worried no. either. But I, I did find it interesting, uh, the creator economy, uh, very interested in the professionalization of creators. you That's us. <laughs> that's us. Thank <laughs> plans you. to get to 11 million creators on the platform. Today, they... 50. Sorry, plans to get to 50. Today, they have 11... I guess we're part of the 11. Uh, yeah, but we're not making any money from yeah, I Spotify. I was going to say Spotify, so. we make $0 from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess people listen through Spotify. It doesn't matter. We're not making anything from Spotify. Yeah. And if he's interested in the professionalization of creators on his platform, we're not part of that yet. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> next, we're not going to throw down the gauntlet to every tech company that we speak about here. <laughs> uh, although Peloton, I still am waiting on a bike, but we'll get to you. <laughs> All right, so we've got one more from uh, the Spotify earnings call. Uh, this is uh, uh, from an analyst question, and I think a really interesting transition we're seeing in Spotify is the movement from a subscription app to a an advertising um, platform. platform yeah and they have about 400 million users about i think about 180 million of them subscribe and the name of the game five years ago for spotify was to convert that 180 million to paid subscribers yeah but that's not so much anymore so here's here's this question uh from an analyst to uh, the Spotify executive. All right, another question from Rich Greenfield on the advertising opportunity. You've talked about advertising becoming 20% of revenues, if not 30 to 40% longer term. While you're no longer giving full year guidance, how do you think about the trajectory of getting to 20% and what are the key puts and takes? Yeah, thanks, Rich. Um, so I, I think obviously it's hard to predict uh, long term exactly how it will play out. And I think when you look at platforms uh, overall um, in this space, uh, and the mix between different options. I think I've alluded to this in the past. I don't think many of these content platforms in the future are going to be single revenue stream. I think there are going to be multiple revenue streams, and it's really just about the mix. We start from the paid, and we're obviously growing into having both advertising and paid, and there will be some other platform that uh, that started with advertising and then started adding more paid content as well. So I really think it's the combination of subscription, um, a la carte and advertising that long term will be the revenue mix. Now speaking specifically to advertising, what is the primary puts and takes? It really at this present moment comes down to two things primarily. One is uh, inventory. We see an enormous amount of demand from advertisers uh, and the number one thing uh, that we're, we're, we're stretched for at the moment is more inventory and that's why you see us introducing things as, such as span um, and other things. Uh, and then long term um, with a little bit more horizon it's obviously international. So many platforms start out monetizing the US and UK very well uh, but it takes a little bit more time to monetize the international markets. I don't think we will be an exception to that. So long term, I think it will be more geographical things too. But there's really positive signals in those markets too. I remember going back to the Chinese market 10, 15 years ago, 
there was a huge debate whether advertising was a viable model at all in the Chinese uh, internet market. And now you see gigantic companies being built with advertising as the number one uh, source. And I think that bodes really well for regions such as India, Indonesia, and others too, where Spotify has obviously had enormous success. But that's also how you should read into those investments. They may not be large from a revenue perspective today, but I am absolutely confident that by investing in these markets and becoming the number one audio platform there, that's going to be a very worthwhile position to own in the long term. So, Ren, it's clear that Mr. Eck is thinking about the ambitions of Spotify, expansions into India, Indonesia, a lot of these sort of emerging markets, and with that aiming to become uh, a much bigger advertising platform. I think uh, their recent result also a uh, huge increase in advertising revenue as a total proportion. I think yeah. 15% now, some, something somewhere uh, around that. Yeah, line. I think even getting closer to 20%, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Big part of their revenue mix. So uh, certainly, um, yeah, making that making that transition. And it makes sense. Yeah, and listening to the earnings call more generally, like a repeated theme over and over again was we need more inventory for advertisers. Advertising demand is just so much higher than the inventory we have to place ads. Love so um, if you're Spotify... And and that, that's informing their strategy. Like they've announced they're moving into audiobooks and, you know, they're trying to build um, more podcast advertising into their platform. Um, and that's because they're just desperate for, desperate for inventory. Mm. Well, as a Spotify shareholder, Ren, who after looking at my portfolio this morning and seeing that not only is Spotify down 58%, but I'm down 51% on my holdings, I am... Not worried, and I am glad that uh, Eck spoke the way he did. Mm. Um, Daniel Eck, one of our white whales that we're chasing. Yes. So, if anyone has a contact to him, uh, pass it on. But let's move to a company that you love and I hate, uh, Meta, <laughs> no. uh, the, the company formerly known as Facebook, down 46% from its all-time highs. And we're going to start with a clip uh, from Mark Zuckerberg's introduction to their most recent earnings. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining today. This was a solid quarter for our products and business. It was also an important one for our company. In October, we announced that Meta uh, would be our new name, and we laid out our vision for the metaverse. And when we shared our plans to connect, I I said that this is not something that we're going to do on our own. The metaverse will be built by creators and developers. It will be interoperable, and it will touch many different parts of the economy. In the months since, it's been exciting to see lots of other companies share their own plans for the metaverse and how their experiences and products might show up too. And I look forward to partnering with a lot of them as we work to bring this to life together. Now, if last year was about putting a stake in the ground for where we're heading, then this year is going to be about executing. And today, I'm going to discuss uh, our seven uh, major investment priorities for 2022. And they are Reels, Community Messaging, Commerce, Ads, Privacy, AI, and of course, the Metaverse. And these are the areas that we're putting a lot more talent and budget towards. But before I get to that, I want to briefly touch on our Q4 results, which I know Cheryl and Dave are going to go deeper on. I'm proud of the work that our teams did here. Uh, We shipped products, our community continued to grow, and businesses of all sizes turned to us uh, to help them reach people. But there are two things that I want to call out uh, that are having an impact on our business. The first is competition. Uh, People have a lot of choices for how they want to spend their time, and apps like TikTok are growing very quickly. 
And this is why our focus on reels is so important over the long term, as is our work to make sure that our apps are the best services out there for young adults, which I spoke about on our last call. The second area and related to this is that we are in the middle of a transition on our own services towards short-form video like Reels. So as more activity shifts towards this medium, we are replacing some time and newsfeed and other higher monetizing services. So as a result of both competition and the shift to short-form short video, as well as our focus on serving young adults over optimizing overall engagement, we're going to continue to see some pressure on impression growth in the near term. Now I'm confident that leaning harder into these trends is the right short-term trade-off to make in order to get long-term gains. And we've made these types of transitions before with mobile feed and stories, where we took on headwinds in the near term to align with important trends over the long term. And while video has historically been slower to monetize, we believe that over time, short-form video is going to monetize more like feed or stories than like watch. So I'm optimistic that we'll get to where we need to be with Reels too. So Ren, last year, October, they announced their name change to Meta. Uh, I think Specky McGee just sent something through uh, that they've lost $500 billion in market cap since changing. Wow. From, from Meta to from Facebook that, to Meta. That, I mean, that has to be the worst name change of all time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is their first quarter uh, report since. And for Zuckerberg, it's all about now actually putting rubber on the road. Yeah. But I think, you know, they're, they're obviously having a lot of trouble facing a lot more competition, uh, TikTok, and they're having real difficulty monetizing short-form videos. We've got one more clip. Uh, this one is Sheryl Sandberg answering a question. And then I want to ask you the question we're going to ask for all of these earnings calls. Do they sound worried? Okay. We've also heard from advertisers about other macro trends that contributed to the headwinds in Q4, including global supply chain disruptions, labor shortages, and inflationary pressures. A number of Industry reports have pointed to people shopping earlier in the holiday season to avoid potential supply chain issues and shipping delays. This is in line with the behavior we saw from advertisers, many of whom front-loaded their spend earlier than usual. Mark talked about seven areas of investment. I'd like to talk about our progress in three of those, ads, commerce, and messaging. First, ads. Like others in our industry, we faced headwinds as a result of Apple's iOS changes. As we described last quarter, Apple created two challenges for advertisers. One is that the accuracy of our ads targeting decreased, which increased the cost of driving outcomes. The other is that measuring those outcomes became more difficult. These challenges are complex and interrelated. We're working to try and improve things. For example, by making progress in closing the underreporting gap for iOS web conversions, and by introducing tools like our aggregated events measurement solution to deliver better insights for advertisers. These efforts will help to mitigate some of the challenges, but we expect the overall targeting and measurement headwinds to moderately increase from Apple's changes and from regulatory changes in Q1 and throughout 2022. So Bryce, Sheryl Sandberg talking about some of the challenges they're facing, the Apple iOS changes, the, I guess, risk of regulatory changes, the troubles with monetizing short-form videos, a few headwinds over at Meta, and we didn't even include clips talking about the massive investment they're making in um, you know, the metaverse and what that looks like. So, Bryce, worried or not worried? They sound worried. They sound a bit desperate. 
Oh, desperate. <laughs> wow, okay. They sound worried. Look, Zuckerberg has done this before, a large pivot, not to the extent of completely changing the company direction, um, but yeah. I think I think it's worth... So, everyone talks about the Zuckerberg pivot from desktop to mobile, and that was his finest moment as a CEO. So, I think we, we should acknowledge that. The other thing is Sheryl Sandberg is remarkably good at monetizing new formats. And she mentioned monetizing Instagram stories there. And if you think back to when Instagram stories launched, it was because Snapchat had Mm. something similar and they just ripped that feature and then built it into their uh, platforms and then Sandberg found a way to make lots of money from it. And if you're bullish on Facebook, if you're bullish on Meta, you're going to say that they're going to do the same thing with TikTok functionality. If you're not bullish, you're going to say they're not. They're not. Yeah, (laughs) and and they're done. But they sound worried. All right. Uh, do we want to take a quick break and then get into Netflix, Peloton, Shopify? Oh, that just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's take a quick break and jump into Netflix. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, Bryce, before the break, uh, we have the scorecard of Spotify. You don't think they're worried. Facebook or Meta, you think they are worried. So let's get into Netflix. Down 43% from all-time highs. Uh, and let's start. These guys didn't do an introduction. Their, their whole earnings call was a Q&A with a Fidelity analyst, which I, I actually appreciated. So let's start at the very beginning. Thank you, Spencer. Good to be with you all again. Great to see all the new content over the quarter. I've been a little less productive, so I think I can blame you all for that. <laughs> As usual, um, I'd like to start with net ads during the quarter, which came in a little bit lighter than you expected. Just help us understand um, the underperformance there. Nitty, 8.3 versus 8.5? I mean, you know, that's incredible. On 222 million. <laughs> in fairness, Nitty said it was a little shy, so I'll take it, Nitty. So as, as they said, we, we delivered, um, you know, first, we're, we're, we're quite pleased with how the quarter uh, played out. We delivered 8.3 million paid net ads, so it was just a bit shy, about a tenth of a percent on that, on roughly 220 2 million paying members. And um, you know, overall, we're quite pleased with how our titles performed. We had big viewing. We started the quarter with Squid Game becoming a global phenomenon. And we ended the quarter in December with big TV series like the finale of La Costa de Papel, a big uh, returning show in The Witcher, our two biggest mo- movie releases of all time. So overall, um, the business was healthy. Uh, retention was strong. Churn was down. Viewing was up. 
Um, but on the margin, we just um, we didn't grow acquisition quite as fast as as we would have liked to see. And, and on, on our large uh, uh, subscriber base, a, a small um, change in acquisition can have a pretty big flow through in, in paid net ads. And, and again, our acquisition was growing, just not growing quite as fast as we we were perhaps hoping or forecasting. Great. And as as we look ahead um, to Q1, you know, the guidance was a bit below um, kind of what was expected and what you've done in previous Q1s. Maybe just help us understand what some of the key considerations were that went into the guidance. And, you know, does it raise any concerns for you about anything structural, you know, whether it's competition or saturation or, you know, does it give you any pause in terms of sort of your return on content spend? Sure. No, no structural change in the business that we see. Uh, what's re reflected in the guidance, we guided to 2.5 million paid net ads in Q1. And what's reflected there is pretty much the same trends we saw in Q4. So healthy ret retention with churn down, uh, healthy viewing and engagement with with viewing up and acquisition just uh you know growing but a bit slower than than uh pre-covid levels just hasn't fully recovered and you know we're trying to pinpoint what that is it's it's tough to say exactly why our acquisition hasn't you know kind of recovered to pre-covid levels um it, it's probably a bit of just overall COVID overhang that's still um, happening after two years of a global pandemic that we're still unfortunately not fully out of, some macroeconomic strain in some parts of the world, like Latin America in particular. Um, you know, while we can't pinpoint it or point a straight line using when we look at the data on a competitive impact, there may be some kind of more on the on the marginal kind of side of our growth, some impact from competition, but but which again, we just don't um, see it specifically. Um, so overall, that's what's reflected in the guide. I'd say we are, our big titles are also landing, at least our known big titles a little bit later in the quarter with uh, season two of Bridgerton in March, the Adam project also in March. And I should note, we also, while we're, we are uh, taking, you know, changing prices, in countries every quarter um, in Q1 of this year, it happens to be our largest country as we we announced last week, and actually our largest region with, with Canada as well. So that's probably a little bit more impact than a typical quarter. But Nidhi, um, you're right to reflect on, you know, two years ago, we were 10 million above plan, which was a shock, you know. Uh, last year we were 10 million below, you know, or 9 million. Um, and so, you know, the pull forward sort of you know, makes it hard to read, you know, in the prior years, we were very steady, so we could have confidence on incremental trends. Um, but as Spence said, you know, when you we reflect, of course, you know, hey, that's a low guide, you know, and, and we think it'll be accurate. It's not uh, sandbagged at all, um, kind of what's going on. And, you know, there's a number of, you know, potential explanations in COVID, but then we worry about hanging too much on that. Um, you know, there's more competition than there's ever been, but, you know, we've had Hulu and Amazon for 14 years, so it doesn't feel like any qualitative change there. And overall, confidence in streaming becomes all of entertainment, you know, linear dissipates over, you know, the next 10 to 20 years, very high confidence in that thesis because everyone's coming into streaming. So like market size, very large, our execution, you know, is steady and, and getting better. So for now, we're just like, you know, staying calm and, you know, trying to figure out again, the COVID has introduced so much noise. It just wants us to give it some pause and as we work on everything we've always worked on. 
Well, Ren, I know you're going to ask me, do they sound worried or not? And I'm just going to nip it in the bud right now. They don't sound worried based off how they started that call. A lot of laughter around the fact that in classic style, they just miss expectations and get absolutely walloped. Yeah. But they still had uh, a pretty good report. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't sound worried at all. And I mean, they're in an incredibly competitive business, but they seem to be kicking a lot of goals. I mean, they just keep having titles that capture the world. Yeah. To, to that point, I think they were the... Uh, number one publisher or creator of content to get uh, Oscar nominations this year, 27 yeah. Oscars. Uh, the the Art of the Dog or something? Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog, yeah. 27 beat out some of the traditional guys. Um, what I have noticed though and uh, through some of the commentary is that they now are recognizing that this space is becoming very, very crowded. Previously, they've been saying our only competitor is sleep and yeah, yeah. we think there's plenty of room in the market. Our penetration of US households is still so small, blah, blah, blah. But this was the first time that I've actually heard them softly say, you know what, there's actually a fair bit of comp. Yeah, well, let's get to the uh, the next question because you're right. It's an incredibly competitive environment now. And when you're competing, you need to keep producing good content. And uh, they had some comments on that. So let's throw to this. To reiterate, I'd say, you know, we took a, you know, a, a big bet years ago on this, that people would move onto Netflix and Netflix type offerings to consume movies and film. That was a big, big bet that we've seen continue to go through. We have no change in our confidence in that. And I think what's really been great about 2021, uh, even through all those conditions, we were able to kind of prove out two other theses that we've bet on starting years ago. Uh, one big one around uh, our investment in international programming. Uh, we, you know, glad that we started that seven years ago with Club de Cuervos. Uh, and now, you know, we were betting that you could take films and series from anywhere in the world and entertain the entire world. And we were, you know, getting, getting more bigger and bigger milestones against that goal. And now we have proven to have kind of global sensations from France with Lupin, from, uh, from Spain with La Casa de Papel and Alite. Uh, and then in the biggest way possible in, in 2021 was Squid Game, which has become our biggest series ever and it is unapologetically and perfectly korean so it's not built to be this kind of global thing it's uh, proving that great storytelling from anywhere in the world can entertain the world and our other big bet was uh, our investment in big budget feature films and our bet that we could effectively release them and compete uh, with big theatrical releases for audience and for attention uh, and red notice uh, this year of course and don't look up have become our number one and number two most watched movies ever on Netflix. And uh, if you look at the hours put, you know, that we publish out, you could do the math and back into it. They may be the most watched movies anywhere in the world this year. Uh, so I think those two bets coming true, it kind of strengthens our confidence in the overall bet uh, in the service and uh, pleasing customers and leaning into consumer-first business models uh, that we could succeed there. So, Bryce, it's a content game. It's an incredibly competitive game. But Netflix... They're, it's fair enough, the comments they make there. They are doing very well. Yeah. yeah. And, and I we talk about Netflix um, in the office sometimes. And the one thing that I really think that they have an advantage over a lot of their competitors is that they're truly global. That, you know, Lupin, Squid Game, um, heist, Money Heist. Money heist. Uh, you know, there's Narcos. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All these uh, shows that were made for local audiences that blow up globally. I think Disney are trying to get there, but not many of their competitors are. When's an Australian one going to blow up? Has there been one? Not that I can so think good of. Good question. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think 
Netflix. They don't sound worried. They no. know they know they're they're in a competitive fight, but they are just one of the best companies going that, around. Yeah, they don't sound worried. They still think there's massive opportunity. And sorry, I, I should say best companies in terms of like the management and the culture, maybe not in terms of like the business fundamentals of mm. needing to pay hundreds of millions of dollars a quarter to produce new content. Seventeen billion I think they spent in twenty twenty one. Yeah. Seventeen billion on content. It's a capital intensive game. Ah, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So let's move on to one of the hottest stocks during COVID. We were, we were lucky enough to speak to the uh, managing director here in Australia for our summer series and that's Peloton down eighty two percent from their all time high we're going to hear if they sound worried or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's start with a clip from John Foley, the co-founder and at the time of the earnings call, CEO. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures is provided in today's shareholder letter. With that, I'll turn the call over to John. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today on short notice. As you've probably seen by now, we made a number of important announcements this morning all of which are intended to ensure Peloton is well-positioned for sustainable, profitable growth. I'd like to start by stating I love Peloton. I love the role we play in connecting the world through fitness. Our goal has always been to bring immersive and challenging workouts into people's lives in a more accessible, affordable, and efficient way. We've done a great job of delivering on that vision, and our large and loyal member community is proof of that. But we also acknowledge that we have made missteps along the way. To meet market demand, we scaled our operations too rapidly, and we overinvested in certain areas of our business. We own this. I own this. And we are holding ourselves accountable. That starts today. Early today, we announced several important leadership changes. I will be taking a new role as executive chair of the board, and Barry McCarthy will be assuming the role of CEO. I couldn't think of a better person for that job as we transition to Peloton's next phase of leadership. Barry is a tremendously talented executive with deep experience in growing content-dependent digital subscription businesses and doing so profitably. And he has partnered successfully with two extraordinarily talented founders during this journey. Barry most recently led Spotify's global advertising business and also served as CFO, overseeing their direct listing and helping to establish Spotify as the global brand it is today. Many of you may also know that Barry served as Netflix CFO for over 10 years. Plus, Barry is a longtime passionate Peloton member who shares our team's enthusiasm for our company's vision of improving lives through home fitness. I'll be partnering closely with him as we address the challenges facing our business and work to deliver on the value inherent in Peloton. So, Ren... The CEO has stepped down. Yes. <laughs> Are they worried? Are they worried? <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. But you know what? John Foley might, well, Peloton might be worried, but John Foley has still made out very well. Yeah, well, he's still executive chairman. Yeah, he's also co-founded a multi-billion dollar yeah, company. <laughs> so, so he's doing all right. But look, um, you're not not worried if you're getting rid of your CEO and... <laughs> Not not worried. Yeah. <laughs> Getting rid of your CEO and changing a few things up. They also uh, cut their jobs job force by twenty eight hundred, two thousand eight hundred. Job force. Job force. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> workforce by twenty eight hundred, two thousand eight hundred jobs. Tw- roughly twenty percent of their workforce. Um, so 
I would certainly say, and it sounds like they, they're worried about where they're at and uh, I guess how they front run all the demand and now in a bit of a situation where that demand's no longer there and they've probably expanded too quickly. Well, on that point of demand not being there anymore, uh, we have a question from an analyst who asked that question. Where, where are we going to see growth again? No, next question coming from the line of Edward Rumer with KeyBank Yelanis Open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question for all the details. I just want to kind of follow up on the last question, but ask the broader question on demand. Uh, as you think about all the different things you've experimented with, right, tactical price reductions, new products, as we think about the longer-term growth algorithm, what, what do you think restores the business back to a growth trajectory? Is it some of these new products? Is it just kind of lapping some of these comps? Uh, and I know that you did make a comment about affordability uh, and trying to reduce that. I wanted to know how that's squared with uh, the implementation delivery fees. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Ed. Uh, I'm going to take this, and I think John uh, might chime in. There's a lot here. Uh, certainly, our uh, second half demand is a softer demand picture, uh, and so it, it obviously exemplifies the fact that it has been difficult for us to forecast and predict demand coming out of COVID. But I do want to highlight that there are three other factors that we believe are relatively short-term in nature that are driving our revised outlook. Um, no doubt we are going to see an elasticity response from the price increases on our original bike and tread. Um, and, and those, as you know, are in the form of the delivery and installation surcharge. Um, we also are intending to purposefully reduce our marketing spend in the back half of the year so that we better understand baseline of demand in post-COVID. Uh, post um, and I think it's just important as we move forward, we're making a lot of uh, OPEX cuts. But to be clear, from a marketing perspective, that is an engine that we are not shutting off. Marketing um, will be critical to our success going forward. And so what you'll see is that what we want to do is, one, get to better marketing and media uh, efficiency, and also reduce a lot of the fixed costs within sales and marketing so that we can allocate more to that variable marketing spend. So. That is something that, you know, we are not going to sacrifice on. We, we want to grow. We want to change more lives. Um, and then third, I think we would, you know, be, I think, naive if we didn't think that there could be some operational disruptions as we work through this restructuring. And so those are sort of the three short-term headwinds that we're seeing. But stepping back, we believe that the opportunity is unchanged. We believe the fitness and wellness industry will continue to grow. It's grown for decades through many, many cycles. The connected fitness industry will take share. The connected fitness industry will also grow fitness participation. And we know that consumers coming out of COVID with work from home and hybrid models are more predisposed to want to work out at home today than they ever were pre-COVID. Um, and, and I just want to also take one other step back as it relates to our subscriber base Keep in mind, we are projecting 3 million subs by the end of this year. When we entered COVID, which feels like a decade ago now for, for us at Peloton, two years ago, we had just over 700,000 subscribers. So while our growth in sales in our connected fitness has been nonlinear, we are emerging from all of this with a very large scale growing member base with low churn. We're changing lives. We have a great product, high NPS, low churn, and are the category leader. And, and that's what really 
makes us uh, excited about the future. And it's the same playbook we've had before. It's growing our core bike business, growing new products, growing our channels like corporate wellness, and growing international. So, Bryce, I think the point uh, that the CFO, Jill Woodworth, makes there is a fair point, that if you zoom out, they're doing pretty well. It's just that COVID dragged a lot of demand forward. Thoughts? It's uh, it's a good way to 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 present the situation. If you drag out on a lot of companies, they're doing pretty well. Um, but it just really comes down to that fundamental question that I think we've been trying to answer. And we when we we spoke to the MD here, we were trying to answer. It's like, is their bet on the future of fitness the right bet at the moment? Yeah. So that that's something that. Um, is still very much an unknown. Yeah, for me, it's like, yeah, I I completely accept that you bought demand forward and I accept that your share price is actually up from when you listed. It's just been an incredibly bumpy ride to get there. Um, But I think the overarching question is, you brought demand forward, but what does total demand look like? And, you know, we've spoken to expert investors off air that see Peloton as a you know, like a world-beating company. We've spoken to others that don't say that. But for me, I am just not, I don't have a clear view on what the future of fitness looks like in terms of, is it going to be an at-home thing? Are they really going to be able to disrupt gyms? So yeah, for me, that's the question. You brought demand forward, but how much demand is there? Going going, forward. Going forward, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they still haven't sent us the damn bike to try. So. Yeah, well, you know what? If if they had sent us the bike, I could be sitting here yeah. being like, I'm super bullish, yeah. I'm ripped as shit right now, <laughs> and I know that when people see me on our IG, they're going to be getting Pelotons as well. But instead, I'm not we ripped as shit, do that. and so I can't say that. <laughs> we'll have to follow them up. Unbelievable. So let's move to a company that I own, um, that I have a real soft spot for, but the market doesn't love because it's down 63% from its all-time highs, and that's Shopify, the Canadian e-commerce enabler um, that powers so many online stores that you would have bought from that you would have never even known. Everything from Tesla and Red Bull to local Facebook sellers all around the world. So I am going to start this one by giving the award for the lamest opening to an earnings call. <laughs> this is a Canadian company, but this minute just struck me as so American. Thanks, Katie, and good morning, everyone. The digital commerce revolution, which accelerated as a result of the pandemic in 2020, continued in full force in 2021. The direct-to-consumer and omni-channel commerce trends that got supercharged with COVID were reinforced. As more consumers bought directly from their favorite brands, engaging in unforgettable shopping moments that are possible when commerce is everywhere. The evolution in commerce that fast-forwarded over the past two years offers more selling opportunities to makers, creators, influencers, and curators. These entrepreneurs are ready. Their resilience and our drive to build them the best products for modern commerce put Shopify and our merchants out ahead. So, Bryce... (laughs) 
The digital commerce revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Unforgettable shopping moments that are possible when commerce is everywhere. (laughs) These entrepreneurs are ready. (laughs) Yeah, you got to give it to them. Uh, Hyping it up. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, it it uh, it was pretty lame, but that doesn't mean the company's lame. No, the company's uh, far from it. No, and the numbers that we're about to hear from the company aren't lame at all. But it does raise a question: Why did the share price fall so much? Um, so let's listen to this, and then I'll ask you: Worried or not worried? We closed 2021 with annual revenue nearly triple 2019 levels. Our merchant base nearly twice as big as 2019 as the share of merchants outside of North America continued to grow as part of our mix over the past year. More than 14,000 merchants on Shopify Plus, with approximately 4,000 of these coming on in 2021, the strongest year ever for standard upgrades, as well as new merchants joining the platform. And our merchants GMV more than doubled 2019 levels, reaching $175 billion in 2021. In Q4 of 2021, our merchants had their most successful Black Friday Cyber Money selling period, generating $6.3 billion in GMV, significantly outpacing growth in the broader e-commerce market. In 2021, nearly 600 million shoppers made a purchase from a Shopify merchant, up nearly 31% from 2020. Seven companies that grew their businesses on Shopify reached a new threshold for growth by becoming publicly traded. And we got stronger, growing Shopify's team to 10,000 people, enthusiastically taking on the big opportunities ahead of us. Shopify's impact comes from the combined power of our total offering, our infrastructure, platform, merchant solutions, and our partner ecosystem. This is coupled with our belief that the work we do creates value, not just for merchants, but for everyone who has the privilege to interact with them. All right, Bryce, the numbers are strong there. Seven companies that were built on Shopify IPO'd in their own right in 2021. So it literally powers every end of the e-commerce spectrum. Um, And it's had an incredibly good few years as people shift to e-commerce. Demand brought forward because of the pandemic. But the share price is down 63% from its all-time highs. At the time of recording in February alone, the share price is down 37%. Poor Shopify. The numbers that it pumped out, though, were incredibly impressive. Are they worried or not? Absolutely not. Well, not based on the opening we heard. No. Unforgettable shopping moments. (laughs) I can honestly attest that I've never had an unforgettable shopping moment. Every shopping moment for me has been forgettable. (laughs) It's just like you just go to the register and pay or you check out online. Yeah, particularly online. Yeah. Yeah, The one exception to that, and this is unsponsored, Institu is pretty good. Like you, yeah, they, that's not online. They really look after you. They measure you up, and they, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah. every shopping moment is forgettable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, this is just a, a, a case of uh, a company that's been caught up in the the broader growth stock tech sell off, and for Shopify, you know, for the likes of uh, Spotify as well, these companies certainly don't seem worried. The fundamentals. Behind all of these, this is is still pretty fantastic. Yeah, I saw this chart that put um, Amazon and Shopify side by side because Shopify saw growth, but it's just that Amazon and Amazon third-party sellers saw more growth. And so you could make a case that 
they're falling behind in taking market share from Amazon. Um, but I think you know the pie, the e-commerce pie, is growing so quickly as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to like about Shopify, but I think in a similar vein to a lot of these growth stocks that we're talking about, and especially the one we're going to finish on next, even the best companies can be too expensive. And there would be plenty of people that argued that the last year or two, Shopify got mm, very expensive. expensive. Yeah. Um, and speaking of a great company that pumps serious numbers, um, but arguably got too expensive, let's close this episode out with PayPal. Yeah, PayPal down 66%. From all-time highs, but let's uh, let's take a listen to this clip that goes through some of the results because pretty amazing figures, and uh, you have to ask the question: Why has the market reacted the way it has? With that, let me turn the call over to Dan. Thanks, Gabriel, and thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm going to highlight our 2021 results, but I also want to spend time discussing the opportunities and challenges we face this year. 2021 was one of the strongest years in PayPal's history. Our revenues grew by 18% to $25.4 billion, and our non-GAAP EPS grew 19% to $4.60. We surpassed $1 trillion in annual TPV for the first time in our history, ending the year with $1.25 trillion of total payment volume. We had a record 5.3 billion transactions in Q4 alone, up 21%. We added 49 million net new active accounts to exit the year with 426 million active accounts, including 34 million merchants. In the last two years, we added 122 million net new active accounts. And despite that spike in new users, our transactions per active account grew to 45 this past year, an 11% increase. And last but not least, we generated $5.4 billion in annual free cash flow. With all that said, 2021 was also a difficult year. It was a particularly hard year to forecast. eBay's migration to managed payments happened faster than we anticipated. Overall, eBay put $1.4 billion of pressure on our top line, reducing our revenue growth by 700 basis points. Ex-eBay. Our revenue growth was very strong, growing 29% on a spot basis for the full year and 22% in Q4. Exogenous factors also did impact our results. Supply chain issues disproportionately impacted our cross-border volumes and our small business merchants. Inflationary pressures impacted spending within certain segments of our user base. Rising threats from COVID variants cut travel and event bookings, and the elimination of government stimulus had an impact as well. E-commerce growth rates during the holiday season 
were lower than industry expectations despite a strong two-year growth rate of almost 50%. And we are also lapping some of the strongest quarters of growth in our history. Even so, we once again grew our market share and came within our revenue guidance for the quarter. So, Bryce, PayPal grew revenue 18%. They did 5.3 billion transactions in the quarter. They added 49 million new active accounts, taking their total active accounts to 426 million. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah keep going. I, I don't have anything to, to go. I just want to... Pause there. <laughs> you can pause there. I do remember though that quite recently it came out that like 30 odd million or something would fraudulent accounts or something. Oh, really? Yeah. But anyway, something they always have to deal with. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, we can get into a whole thing. I reckon Facebook encourage bots on their platform because it helps their Big time. active yeah, customer yeah, numbers. Yeah, for sure. And they all try and get in our Facebook group and it's so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, but I think listening to that PayPal call, uh, there are a couple of things. First of all, get better audio quality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, second of all, um, you know, we talk about is this 2000, is this a similar story to what we saw in 2000 where those high growth tech names, internet stocks just collapsed. And listening to those numbers, 5.3 billion transactions in the quarter, 426 million accounts, Rev- serious revenue numbers and growing revenue numbers. You just a reminder that these businesses that we're talking about here, PayPal, Shopify, Meta, Netflix, they're not the same as the businesses that fell off a cliff in 2000. They're real businesses. They are giant businesses yeah. that produce real money. And sure, a lot of them may not be profitable. Some of the ones that we spoke about today are. But, like, there's money going through that till. Yeah. Internet native businesses as well. They're not trying to just uh, become something that they're not. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Look, um, and look, this 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 is a great opportunity. That's why this is we, – we like this this sort of stuff. PayPal down 60, 66%. Shopify, 63%. Peloton will leave alone. Netflix will leave alone. <laughs> Meta will leave alone. Spotify down 58%. Like, there's some – if you have a look under the hood and do your own research, but there's potentially some pretty good opportunities coming up. The question is, where where are they on the grand scheme of falling? So, look, yeah, some some interesting, exciting, potential opportunities popping up uh, with some of these big companies that um, don't seem worried, focused on the long term. You know, they're still pumping out amazing growth rates. Yeah, it's it's a it's a Good time to be alive in the investing world. But I think whether or not they're good investing opportunities, an opportunity that we can 100% know for certain is that quarter is the best opportunity to easily <laughs> listen to the yeah. executives of these companies. Um, I think you know that was just what we did, six companies there, but that is literally just the smallest taste of the companies that are available there. So um, if you're trying to figure out how to navigate this potential generational buying moment this opportunity where it seems like so many great names are at a discount listening to the companies themselves on the quarter app you can also read their earnings um like powerpoint presentations and stuff like that on the app um it is a great place to start conference calls reports and they even do transcripts so if you don't like listening you like reading and it's all for free so it's pretty amazing worldwide. I'm look listening to 
companies in Sweden. You're over in Africa. Yeah, Jumia. <laughs> Jumia, nice. Yeah. Look, there's plenty to listen to on Quarter. It's Q-U-A-R-T-R.com. You can uh, download it on, on uh, Apple Store or Google Play. So, make sure you do that. But we're going to be back next Monday with another breakdown of uh, some companies that have been reporting. We'll be pulling out some more uh, conference calls and we're having a look, doing a bit of a different take, breaking down the supply chain of a particular industry and seeing how uh, companies at each point in the supply chain has been reporting differently. Yeah. You've heard enough of us talking about inflation and supply chain bottlenecks. (laughs) So uh, next episode, we're going to hear from company CEOs talking about how inflation and bottlenecks are affecting their businesses. That's it. So, Ren, it's always great to chat stocks. Thank you to Quarter. Check it out, com. Download it on your app store now and we'll uh, pick it up next week. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.